We talking rom-com, we talking action, we talking drama and movie classics. Whatever you want, yo, we have it. Cause we talking movies on a podcast. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So I married a film critic. Hey honey, I just wanna talk so about the movie like casually. Critic. You don't have to so bring I up very cinematography. Honestly, let's just talk about like how the characters were fun. Married a film critic. So I married a film critic. So Welcome a to So I Married a Film Critic. I'm your co-host, Julia. And I'm Barry, the film critic, with a lower voice than usual. Sorry, folks, uh, allergies. Um, I'm not trying to sound more like E.T. than I normally do, but that's Elliot. Well, you just gave away the film that we're talking about this week. We're talking about... Was it a mystery? (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) We're talking about Steven Spielberg's E.T. from 1982. Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, the desertion, the fear, the discovery, the friendship. I'm keeping him. The secret, the love. The warning, the signal, the mystery, the danger. The intrusion, the wonderment, the enchantment, the hope, the connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. You were two years old when this film came out. That's true. You weren't much older. I was five. I saw it when it came out, opening weekend. I saw it a lot. The, the, the following year, um, Return of the Jedi came out, and I know I saw this movie and Return of the Jedi more times than any other film. There was a point where my father, you know, would offer to take my brother and I, you know, for the weekend or, to, you know, to do something fun. And uh, I'd be like, you know, Barry, do you want to go to the park or do you want to go, E.T.? Just, I, I saw this so many times. I mean, this movie came out in 82. I remember seeing it in 85, like um, back to back with Back to the Future. It didn't come out on video cassette till 87. So it played in theaters for years. And It played in theaters for five years? Yeah. I mean, this is until Jurassic Park showed up in 1993. Wow. This was the top grossing film of all time. It made three over three hundred million dollars, and this is when you know movie tickets were like a dollar fifty. So I mean, think about that. Wow. <laughs> How much money this thing made? I mean, it was it was like a, you know, to just jump to it. I mean, this thing it's not just a movie that touched the zeitgeist. I mean, this film was like a religion. People all over the world loved this film, embraced this movie. I mean, it was it was pretty intense. And I I was all about this religion of ET, the extraterrestrial. I had the bed sheets. I had all the books. I had the action figures. My favorite was an ET shaped eraser that I used to always use. But I'd always go do it from the feet because if you do it in the head, you erase the head, you know, and, and the head, you know, melts. So you yeah. want to like do from the feet up. You understand. So, yeah, I mean, this movie was a really big deal. Wow. And it still is. I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. <laughs> and you don't even care. <laughs> no, I. Okay. I didn't grow up in a movie loving family like you did. So I think also being so young at the time i mean who's gonna take their two-year-old to see et cool parents i guess not my parents do you remember the first movie you saw in the theater no wow because it's like man that's interesting because yeah that you know that's a big deal to me i don't remember that at all do you remember the first do you remember like the first memory of seeing something in a theater no interesting I don't have any of those kinds of memories. Do you think your parents ever took you to the movies or they're just like, nah? Like um, When I was older, you know, but my mom, she would say, we'd say, mom, can we go to a movie? We're in like, I don't know, junior high or high school or something. 
and we had to be in the theater an hour ahead of time before it started because she wanted a good seat and I just remember the popcorn was gone the candy was gone and we're still sitting there and I'm like mom why do we always have to get here so early that is something I love about my mother-in-law listeners this is my my mother-in-law Dawn and uh, what I love about her I have so many memories of going to the movies with her just being in a theater where there's like nobody there yeah and it's like wow I can't wait to see this movie which starts in 90 minutes I know she's so funny she has, she's still that way it's she's amazing had to get there so early and yeah. then you know contrast that with your mom who would get there in the middle of the movie yes I have many we'll get back to ET folks but what my mom used to do is yeah we'd get to the sometimes we get in like 20 minutes into the movie so we'd watch you know we wouldn't under you know it'd be like what is this film about <laughs> <laughs> and we'd watch all the way through, but then it would end, and she'd ask the usher, hey, we missed the first 20 minutes. Would it be okay if we stay and watch the first 20 minutes in this next showtime and leave? And they always said yes, because my mom is you know, this sweet little lady, so I think they're like, okay, lady. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my memories of like Forrest Gump and Philadelphia <laughs> and the Joy Luck Club are so screwy. I couldn't even tell you how these movies begin um, because I, I remember vividly like watching them from the mid, the midpoint. Yeah. Um, anyway. So that just is shows our audience how different how screwy our movie going yeah, experiences yeah, are exactly <clears throat> yeah so i don't remember when i first saw this movie i think last night when we watched it together maybe i'd seen it only one other time yeah, and it wasn't with me because you know we've been married 17 years at this point <clears throat> and uh yeah i've never watched it with you yeah because because it's it's come up a few times and you just never showed any interest in it and Honestly, like when we watched it together the other night, I did sit apart from you. I'd normally sit next to you and, you know, rub your feet and all the other husbandly things. But I didn't last night because I didn't want you to see how hard I was crying. Oh, you were crying? The whole time. I didn't even know. This movie is like looking through a family album for me. It's a really, it's an intense experience for me to watch this film. I mean, you said it yourself. The little boy looks just like me. And he does. He looks just like you when you were a kid. I didn't really even connect to that when I was, you know, when I was seeing this movie as a kid. But now it's like, yeah, Henry Thomas. Yeah, it looked just like him. And, you know, he's raised by a single mother. I was, for the most part, in my childhood raised by a single mother along with my brother. Um, You know, I grew up in a suburb. Um, Even before I lived where I live now, I was living on the East Coast and we had a suburb that was just like this movie. We were always riding our bikes around, you know, and there's a scene in this movie, not to, you know, not to get too far into it, but uh, there's a scene where Elliot is showing E.T. all of his toys and showing him his world. And that scene always just moves me so much because for one thing, those are all my toys. I recognize every one of them. And, you know, it's like who, you know, there's something special about that relationship. It's like, of course, this movie touched everybody in the world. Who doesn't want a friend like E.T.? Yeah. I mean, he does have really creepily long fingers. So I think (laughs) that scared me would have scared me the most. Sure. We should probably, before we get too far into it, I guess we'll talk about what the film is and we'll be able to have a little bit of, yeah, build up to the trailer. Yeah, why don't you just give a little synopsis? Uh, Elliot is a middle child. He has an older brother whose name I can never remember. He's played by Robert McNaughton. I can never remember the character's name. And his little sister, Gertie, I love that, Gertrude, is played by Drew Barrymore. And they're being raised by their mother, Mary. The father has recently left. He is, as as it's a constant reminder that he is in Mexico with some new chick. Um, So there is a bit of sadness going on in the family. And randomly, this little extraterrestrial, this little alien, uh, who they name E.T., appears, and it becomes this journey not only of Elliot, um, it becomes a journey because he and E.T. are psychically connected, which is established in a really subtle way, but it becomes about getting E.T. home because E.T. is not there, you know, as a... Well, he gets left by mistake. Yes, he's with a crew of, uh, he's with a crew of little, little blobby people like him, and uh, they've taken off... So, uh, yeah, E.T. is alone. He is millions of miles away from home, and uh, Elliot is his only only hope. Yeah. So, yeah, I did not remember barely any scenes from this movie. Which is, it, it was like seeing it for the first time. Yeah, and I suspected, yeah, it had to be, because I remember we were watching the opening scene, and you're like, I don't remember any of this. I mean, for me, the opening scene is so important, because I remember vividly as a kid 
watching the opening credits and the John Williams music is scary at first. It sounds like a horror film. It's very ominous and spooky. Um, and then you've got the, I mean, there's no dialogue for the first 10 minutes or so of the movie, which I think is incredible. It's just visual storytelling. You see the spaceship landing. We see that the, the spaceship is run on, you know, mushrooms. It's weird. The, the technology inside of it, it's, it's like a, you know, it's like being inside a, like a glass, uh, you know, greenhouse. And, you know, E.T. is by himself. You see how he's just dwarfed by these trees. It's a really beautiful long shot. And, and then suddenly the big bad shows up. And it's ne- and I love it. They never give a name. You know, it's not like, you know, Deep State or whatever. You know, or even like... Scientists exactly. or, yeah, we or don't, the CIA. Yeah, you don't we really, don't really know. know. It's, it's, a very, and it's a very nice poetic touch. There's one who has a pair of jangling keys. He's identified in the end credits as keys, played by Peter Coyote. Um, we don't see this character for most of the movie, um, only from uh, the waist down. And uh, we basically see these guys, they chase after E.T. through the forest. It's this thrilling... Oh, and he can run fast. I don't know if he's running. I don't I mean, think he's running. Yeah. He looks like... He's floating. He's, yeah. I think he's yeah, teleporting, floating, however. Yeah. Yeah, but you know because he's got this beautiful red heart light, uh, to quote Mr. Neil Diamond. And he's... You know that's... He wrote that song for the movie, right? No. Turn on your hot light. Wow, I didn't he know that. He saw E.T. and wrote that song. Wow. Yeah. If that isn't I the corniest thing you've so ever heard. much. <laughs> Well, that's why I'm a professional film critic, you know, because you could learn such valuable film history like that. Keep going. So, all right. So, yeah. So, um, this this wordless sequence again, like I love it because no dialogue. It's just Spielberg at the top of his game. Um, You know, it's interesting now that you know with his last few movies like you know Lincoln and and uh, War Horse, Spielberg has you know he's trying to do like classic style of filmmaking he's trying to be like whatever john ford or, or alfred hitchcock this movie it's like this is back when steven spielberg was an auteur like this was a style of filmmaking that he, that you know, he created yes i mean like i mean he's obviously you know pulling from some of the masters but i mean the way this movie looks the way every scene looks like an illustration from a child's you know fairy tale mm-hmm. uh that amazing shot where elliot is about to go into the shed outside and the moon is out and the clouds are there i mean it looks like you know it looks like an illustration out of peter pan which comes up again as, as a plot thread in this movie and of course spielberg maker of hook you know obviously that story meant so much to him and because you know flying has a great deal in this story too Mm. so there is a real peter pan connection but um yeah it's it's a it's an extraordinary sequence i mean because if you think about this movie there's dialogue but there's really not that much dialogue um little henry thomas who plays elliot he has some really beautiful monologues but for the most part you could watch this movie you wouldn't want to but you could watch it without the sound and follow everything it's it's pretty to use that term pure cinema it is because it's like it's it's the image the imagery is so powerful and so direct you don't need a lot of exposition why which is why you don't need to know who the scientists are how long they've been trailing et you know what their deal is we know that they're an invasive presence in a really scary way they drive around trying to listen to all the different suburban homes yeah Yeah, i mean so so they're you know clearly they're not great people um, clearly they're well connected. It's established that there's like a, like a general, you know, it's like, it's obviously very militarized, but there's not a whole lot beyond that. And you don't really need it. So you just need to know that they are a threatening adult presence and they're not really great scientists. Cause there is that weird shot of, uh, remember the, uh, the Reese's pieces that he finds in the park one night and he just pops one in his mouth. <laughs> that's, that's not good yeah, science yeah. folks. I mean, that like, could have, wow. I mean, if, if he knew that was like from an extraterrestrial, you know, you shouldn't pop that in your mouth. Yeah. Pete's sake. Okay. So I wanted to talk about the dinner scene, the, which one, the famous dinner scene with just like, um, Mary and the three kids. Yeah. And this is before E.T. shows up. Right before, yeah. Right before. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I don't remember. It just shows how much of a mom I am now. Because when (laughs) Elliot says, like, shut up to his brother Mm -hmm. and uses um, a very odd. You can say it. Yeah, he just says, shut up, penis breath. Yeah. (laughs) And the mom is just like, Elliot, but like laughing. I just thought it was so funny because I could picture myself in her position just being like, okay, that's highly inappropriate and highly funny, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And I just thought it was a really 
funny scene because then the older brother, you know, is like kind of making fun of Elliot and Gertie's just like repeating everything (laughs) that he's saying in just this really funny way. It just really establishes who all of these people are, you know, that Elliot is like, no, I saw this thing. I don't know what it is, but it's real. It's not in my imagination and nobody believes him. And you just really, your heart just really goes out to him. What are you going as for Halloween? I'm not going to stupid Halloween. Why don't you go as a goblin? Shut up. It's not that we don't believe you, honey. Well, it was real, I swear. What are you going as, Gert? I'm going as a cowgirl. So what else is new? Maybe it was an iguana. It was no iguana. Maybe a, a... You know how they say there are uh, alligators in the sewers? Alligators in the sewers. All we're trying to say is maybe you just probably imagined it. I couldn't have imagined it. Maybe it was a pervert or deformed kid or something. A deformed kid. Maybe uh, an elf or a leprechaun. It was nothing like that, penis breath. Elliot, (laughs) sit down. Dad would believe me. Maybe you ought to call your father and tell him about it. I can't. He's in Mexico with Sally. And then, yeah, they bring up the whole dad thing. The dad, you know, he says, well, dad's in Mexico, you know. And, yeah, it's just really obvious that everyone's hurting over that situation. And the movie doesn't need to over-explain it. We don't need flashbacks. Oh, yeah, no, no. None of that. It's it's great. In, like, a few minutes, you have a full idea of this family dynamic and if the characters aren't particularly you know rich in the way they're you know characterized nevertheless like the performances not only do they feel completely authentic but there's a lived-in quality to everything everything the way these kids are acting they don't they don't they're not acting like cutesy sitcom actors and d wallace who is wonderful in this movie as the mother i mean uh, just again it's like there, you know, I don't want to say it's like a documentary quality to it, but I mean, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I've, I've yeah, it feels very authentic, very real. I've never doubted the reality of this film. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Even, and we'll get to it. There's some parts in this film that that are a bit much at times in terms of how how uh, elevated the reality is. But nevertheless, like I've always believed in this movie, which is one of the reasons. Even as a kid, it's like it it felt authentic in a way that Star Wars never did. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um... So seeing E.T. again, like the actual puppet, I was just struck by how, not lifelike it is, but just how like sweet he, he looks. I think the first time I saw it, I thought he was scarier. And, you know, watching him now, you're like, oh, yeah, it is just kind of a blobby kind of, I don't even know. He's just very unique looking. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, a hormel ham connected to a long neck that's connected to a beanbag. <laughs> <You know, it's, laughs> there's really not much to the design. But yeah, um, it's funny. Like It's a quality a lot of Disney movies have where the character that you find the most beautiful and endearing are the ones with the big eyes, the big mm. expressive eyes that, that always get you. And yeah. E.T. is very much like that. It's all about the eyes. And it's pretty amazing. It was something I hadn't noticed until last night. I've seen this movie how many times. Um his eyes dilate at times. Yeah. When there's the light fixture, I mean, it's pretty un- uncanny. This is, you know, there's no CGI when this came out, so yeah. this is, this is, I mean, <laughs> this is some pretty advanced puppetry. And I, I know that this is supposed to be a sci-fi movie, but it's really funny. There's a lot of funny parts, you know, when um, Elliot shows his siblings E.T. and they are like, E.T. yells, and then she, <laughs> Gertie screams, and then everyone's yelling. <laughs> <laughs> and there's they dress him up and they put him in robes and they put him in wigs and it's just very sweet. Did it's you very... find that the humor kind of helped draw you into the film more than it would normally? Yeah, definitely. Because I thought it was very real. You know, it reminded me when because my sister and I would dress up my brother in <laughs> like a girl and put him in just costumes and stuff from our dress up box and parade him around the neighborhood and um sorry tim (laughs) scarred for life yeah but um 
that's something that kids do, right. you know? And so I, I found it very real, but also very endearing. And I just love every time E.T. is in the closet. It's just funny. You know, he's in there with the stuffed animals. He looks like a stuffed animal. The, the mom never notices him. The mom is in another world here. She, she's an adult, you know. Yeah. She, you know, she's she's obviously just you know traumatized by the absence of the husband, whatever the circumstances. She's yeah. we, we don't know what she does, do we? No, we don't know what she does, but we know she has a job where she has to dress professionally. Yeah. Um, if I were to guess, I'd say travel agent, because this is you know this is that time before Priceline.com, where if you wanted oh, a to take travel a tra- agent, yeah, if you wanted to like take a trip, you had to get a travel agent. You know, yeah. you, you don't do it yourself. She obviously doesn't have to be at work like before nine it's kind of right. a nine to five thing yeah but um yeah when she comes home after E.T. has been drinking yeah we should definitely talk about that <laughs> yeah we need to talk about this crazy scene but yeah we but but we to to your point yeah it's the the joke is that she just does not see him and Gertie is trying so hard to tell like milk mommy like this is what he's saying this is what he's doing yeah and she just you know and and it's kind of the magic of it too because Elliot at one point addresses his siblings and says you know only kids can see him so do you think she literally can't see him no oh no no no, no, no. I'm not trying to take that but I do think there is you know to go with the whole Peter Pan element you know how you know Peter Pan you know Never Never Land other than the pirates Peter you know Never Never Land is a place for children and because this movie is about the perspective of children it's it's one of these things where you know only children could believe in him and only children could see his you know his innocence and his beauty and all that whereas adults obviously they want to they're like let's dissect him yes let's light the torches and yeah yeah Yeah, so the scene I guess this is where we establish that they do have a psychic connection. Yes. It it happens the night before when he brings E.T. into his room, and they're both mimicking each other, that really cool scene. Oh, yeah. That's how it kind of starts. But then, yeah, you're right. The the following day when Elliot fakes a sickness, which I love, and I've done that, and it always works when you put the the thermometer up to the, the heating lamp. Oh. I've done that. It actually works. So, um, wow. It's okay. Mom's never, my mother's never going to listen to this. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So he stays home with ET for yeah, yeah. They they stay home together and they have this for a day. Yes. But then the next day. The next day, yeah. Elliot goes to school and ET stays home and they're clearly one would feel something, the other would feel it. And the film is showing us this back and forth happening, and then it. it it becomes really extreme when Elliot's in school. Et finds a finds a six pack of finds beer. Finds all the beer and yeah. just decides to drink all of yeah. it. Et keeps drinking the beer and right. Elliot just keeps drunker like and drunker. getting yeah. And then the school calls his mom. Well, it's I mean let's it, go. It, it gets even crazier because because there it, it's a science class. Oh right, and uh, and this is like old school science where you murder a frog before dissecting him in a science class, right? Because it's the eighties. And uh, I mean, don't they still do that stuff? Uh, don't they I, still do dissections? I did it once in high school, and this was in the nineties, and the frogs were already dead. Okay, let me tell you how lame my school was. Okay, not only were the frogs already dead, but they had probably been dissected multiple times, and so. They just kept reusing them. It's so disgusting. Yeah. So they they were already. So we basically just like we're like, oh, okay, this frog's already open, and we just like look at all the organs and then put it away for the next time. That's so gross. Yeah. So I mean, it's like looking at a carved Thanksgiving Day turkey. It's like yeah. So we didn't even get to really dissect them. It was. I mean, you know, I I don't know what the how much it costs a school to get new frogs every year but i don't know and they this was clearly like a budget saving <laughs> the decision get me pre-dissected frogs no no it's like they got them and then like the first class got to actually dissect them but then the next year and the year after that and, and, oh, and the year man. after that that's awful so they just put them back in the formaldehyde yes oh man okay so the they have live frogs and the teacher's just going around giving them like formaldehyde no chloroform like chloroform and cotton balls, cotton balls. Put in the little jars. Yeah, and it's just like the frogs will go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and their hearts will sure start beating. Sure they will. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll cut them open. Cut them open and see what makes them tick. Well, yeah, and I'm like, "Oh, wow. 
then what what happens to Elliot? He just What's interesting is he's looking at the frog in the jar, and obviously he's thinking oh, and he's of, talking to he's it. He's talking to it. He's thinking of ET. You know, it's this whole. It, it, it's it's a, you know, it's kind of a precursor for where the film is going because he's afraid if adults get a hold of him, they're going to do what they're about to do to the frog. So yeah. he lets the frogs go. He's like, be free. <laughs> he, he free. He frees the frogs. I mean, and this is, and we're talking like fifty frogs or something. Right. It's a. It's a pretty. It's an outrageous number. Like I don't even think there's that many kids in this class, and right. the frogs. It looks like a horror a, a film. plague yeah, has just like descended on this class. It's pretty, and, and it, you know, it's it's probably the most overdirected scene in the film because <laughs> you know it's it's a lot of I don't know. Spielberg sometimes, when it comes to comedy, he tends to overdo it. He did a film called 1941. Doesn't he kiss his classmate? Well, that, I was about to get to that because E.T. is at home watching The Quiet Man. It's the scene in The Quiet oh. Man where, yeah, two characters suddenly have this passionate kiss. So, uh, okay, Henry. So now it's making sense. Yeah, because E.T.'s watching it at home and, and uh, Elliot's doing the exact same thing in class. Yeah, and so he grabs Erica Leniak, as you do, and you kiss her passionately. And in the touch that's a little overdone is, uh, well, I mean, a lot of scenes in this, a lot of moments in this sequence are overdone, but as Elliot's being taken away to the principal's office, which he totally deserves, there's a close-up of Erica Leniak's feet. Did you notice yeah. that? How her little, her little tip goes up in the air, like, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, very much Spielberg, like, going, I've seen a lot of movies. Yes, we know you have, Mr. Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then um, his mom gets a call and she's like, oh, he's drunk. <laughs> and by the way, this this is, I know this on the one hand, this is neither here nor there. I think it's interesting. What originally happened was it cut to this scene where you see him in the principal's office. The principal was played by Harrison Ford. You can find this scene on YouTube. Oh. It's worth a look. And it's fascinating because Ford's doing a character performance. He's not playing Harrison Ford. And he's doing this really twerpy voice. You never see his face. You just see his hands. And, you you know, he's like a dark and it's almost like a like a peanuts wah, wah, wah kind of figure. I don't know. You say you don't know why you did these things. But I'm sorry. I'll never do them again. I see you find young people from good homes, every advantage, your whole life laid out in front of you. And I see... The pot, the pills, the angel wings. Sure, it's a cruel world out there. Deceit, treachery. I wouldn't lie to you, son. See, you're in a way your own best friend or your own worst enemy. And it's a cool scene, but they cut it, and it's a good thing they cut it. It would have taken the movie out of whack. Um, but anyway, that's originally what happened next. Uh, and you can check it out on YouTube. It's a cool scene. Harrison Ford on the cutting room floor of yeah. E.T. Can you believe that? Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay, so that makes sense. I I understood that E.T. was drinking and that Elliot was getting drunk, but all the other things I did not put two and two together, that yeah, they mean, were all connected. Exactly. Yeah, they're all completely connected. And while this is happening, E.T. is not only, you know, knocking down some brewskis, but he's also <laughs> he's also coming up with a plan of how to contact the, the spaceship that left it at home. And so he's putting together, you know, the, the, the speak and spell and all the different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's the scene that we talked about where uh, where the mother, it just does not see this little blobby creature in her in her kitchen um and she goes to fetch her son later on that night it's one of the most beautiful scenes in the movie uh mary the mother's name mary is reading peter pan to gertie yeah. <clears throat> excuse me and et and elliot are listening to it um elliot picks up a blade cuts himself and et establishes yeah. very quickly he has the power to heal yeah that's very cool yeah i i don't know they just have a very sweet relationship and mm-hmm. I don't think I ever really thought about that before and you've always said that I don't get like coming of age boy movies because I'm a girl I guess it's not you know and it's not fair you know, you know why I said that because I showed you stand by me and you had no reaction to it oh and I think I was like how I, could you not be moved I by think stand for, by me I think for me it, it's not that I'm a girl, I think, 
I think that some of these movies I was just too young to really appreciate. Yeah. And I, yeah, and, and forgive me, like I again, I think I said that just because we watched Stand By Me. It's like it's because there's no girls in this movie. That's why you didn't oh, like yeah, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No girls. Yeah, you're like there's no girls in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And so whenever like we watched um, it, and you're like, there's a girl in it. Like you, you should like it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so uncool. I'm so glad we're talking about this now while we're yeah, recording yeah. this. Yeah. No, but but the truth is, I think some of these things didn't really move me until I got older. You know, we talked about that with um, the movie Before Sunrise. And I think now, like, being a mom kind of, it just hits you differently. Yes. Yeah, like watching things from a kid's perspective and having a kid and, you know, you're trying to understand your own child and then you're watching these movies where, you know, the adults are the ones who can't hear things, can't see things, they don't understand. And then you're like, oh, is that me? Like, am I becoming that person (laughs) that I don't like understand? I don't see things because children just have a way of looking at the world that is not just pure or innocent, but just they're not colored by cynicism. You know, like they now and some forgive me. I know some kids have been through a lot of trauma, but for kids that just have just, you know, they're just like growing up normal family and they're just like going to school or, you know, doing their thing. Maybe there's a little bit of like benign neglect in the home. You know, they're just like in their own world, I guess. And it's, and parents, you know, we're just distracted with bills and jobs and, you know, chores and the laundry and whatever else, the other 500 things that we have going on. And kids just see things for what they are. Like they kind of see things just more plainly. And, you know, Elliot said something like, he's my friend. Like he just sees E.T. as his friend. Whereas adults are just like, what the, okay, where is, where did he come from? What's going on? We need to figure this out. You know, there's all these like extra things that cloud our vision. And yeah. So I just think there is something true about the heart of a child being, I don't know, just special, I guess. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, we're recording this on the day that our daughter just turned five years old, and, you know, she says stuff all the time, or sometimes I try to, like, really lean into that, like, what did you mean by that? Because that's interesting, and, you know, sometimes, you know, she's, you know, sometimes words fail her, so she's just saying what what it is she thinks she can do to express the thing, Mm -hmm. and sometimes she's speaking very poetically, and it's poetic because it's so simple and direct, and sometimes we miss that stuff, Um, and the movie is about that. It's a little bit of, like, time travel, like, going back in time, not just to the 80s, but just to, like, when we were kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I... it's it, it's that way for me especially because I mean you know my brother and I used to get on our bikes and just go all day. oh yeah me and my best friend we vanish. rode our bikes yeah everywhere and we you know we didn't have cell phones we didn't like check in with mom every five minutes I mean my mom like basically knew where we were and we weren't like in another town or anything but yeah like I can't imagine that doing that today <laughs> well it's funny too because on the one hand i talk about it with such wonder and like oh it's so great when i used to just like get on my bike and be like yeah mom we'll be back before dinner you know it's like two hours and i've got my little swatch watch and i'm like okay it's 4 15 so i'm just gonna go as far outside of my town as i can you know and hopefully my tires won't pop and i say that you know like oh it's so great i mean I don't want my daughter doing that. <laughs> you know, you know, as soon as Beatrice is, is old and you know old enough, you know older, older to have like a cell phone, like you call me, you let me know you're okay. I obviously it's a different yeah. the, it's a different world. The flip phone we're gonna get her because she won't be allowed to have yes. a smartphone. I'll give her yeah. my flip phone from mm-hmm. 2003. Yeah, okay. that's exactly it. Yeah, but no, I mean it's you know it's funny too because I you know it's like oh the 80s were an innocent more innocent time. No, they weren't. 
things were screwed up and scary in the 80s. We I just mean, didn't have the internet, so we, we didn't know. We, well, you know, we had Neighborhood Watch. I mean, I, we had McGruff the Crime Dog. And I was certainly told, like, you know, Halloween candy, make sure there's no razor blades. I mean, there was <laughs> there was all that stuff that was scary as frick when I was a kid, too. It's not like this just happened, like, the last few years. Like, the internet came. No, no, no. I mean, people were always weird and scary to kids. Um and there is an element of that to this movie, how adults are kind of, you know, unreliable, they are hypocritical, they're scary, they're, they're a threatening presence. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just like the kids riding their bikes trying to get away from the cops, you know, near the end. Well, let's not, yeah, let's, let's oh. not get too far ahead. I mean, let's, oh. I mean, we, we should talk about how, you know, one of the signature scenes of the film where Elliot and E.T., because E.T. has a plan and he has a technology that he's oh, invented. Right. So there's the bicycle ride. Yeah, yeah. And that he's trying to get basically to a spot where he can phone home. Right. Um, yeah. And Elliot's riding his bike and he says, oh, we're probably going to have to walk the rest of the way. But no, now they're flying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is really magical. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, I, you know, you said that you use that word. I mean, watching this movie for me, it's like watching The Wizard of Oz. And it's because of scenes like that. It just, it, yeah. you know, and I... I understand how special effects work, but I just I look at the special effects in this movie and I just I don't really question. Again, it's like I don't question anything about this movie, and I should, but I don't. I really no, don't. I, I don't even. It, it really works for me. I believe yeah. it. Yeah, it does work. So it becomes a little tragic at times because on the one hand, E.T. does make a connection, but then there is this portion. It's the darker portion of the film where Elliot is missing and. You know, it was this whole ruse to get out of the house during Halloween, um, but now it's the next day, and you know, Elliot's this missing child. There's a really, really beautifully acted scene where the mother is explaining to the cop about where her son is, and mm-hmm. and the brother and sister are by her side. Elliot just shows up, and you know, the mother does this. this I love, love what Dee Wallace Stone does, where she, you know, basically is like, "Don't ever do that again." But you know, she's also so so relieved yeah. to see him and Elliot in a really heartfelt way you know pleads with his brother like where is he go you have get to f- you go, have to find you e. have to find E.T. because he's yeah you don't know where he is okay this scene where he finds E.T. in the river is the only mental image I had of this movie oh jeez yeah no wonder you never wanted to watch this well, film you thought it was like about this dead alien that well, a raccoon was like <laughs> Looking at there's a raccoon in this scene, folks. I forget about that. I know. Well, it's just because it's so heartbreaking yeah. and tragic, and you know he's like white as a ghost, yeah. laying in this water, and you think, oh, that's it. He's a goner. Um, and that was the only like memory. All right. Well, I that's really had. yeah, yeah. I understand why you would not want to watch this. So it's movie. just really sad. It's yeah, it is traumatic, and it you know it it is. You know, it is like, you know, uh, the death of Bambi's mother. Spoiler. Um, but then it gets even worse. This is the really dark part of the film. Um, and I think that's something I want to talk about because I've, I've always wondered about this. This is not like a fan theory or anything. It's just, you know, it's just something I've always kind of wondered if there's just a little bit of subtext there we're not considering. Um, Elliot is getting sick because E.T. is near dead at this point. It's very, very intense. The approaching scientists are basically about to pounce on the house. And the older brother says, I have to show you something. And he, and he dresses mom by her name, Mary. Um, and there's a scene earlier in the movie where Gertie refers to, he, he, she addresses mom as Mary. And my question is, um, are these her biological kids? Is this, are these the kids from the husband's side that he has abandoned? Because I don't know. because I don't remember that. Well, like I don't remember the kids calling because, her Mary. Yeah, because the older the older brother in, in in the beginning of the scene says, "Mary, I have to show you something." And on one hand, it's like okay, he's like maybe he's like you know just cutting to it. So like you know like you know I'm calling you by your name because it's something I never do. But Gertie calls her Mary on one occasion too. So I kind of wondered, mm-hmm. you know, is you know is Elliot her biological son maybe? And these the other two kids are you know from the husband's side. I don't know. We should Google that. Well, to my knowledge, they never tell you what the last name of this family is. So wow. I think it is just just a possibility. But anyway, 
I've always wondered about that. Write in to uh, So I Married a Film Critic if you know the answer to this. Or if you happen to be Steven Spielberg or D. Wallace Stone or Henry Thomas or Drew Barrymore or Robert McNaughton. Let us know. So anyway, so you have the really, I think, one of the most powerful scenes in the movie where the mother is confronted with this thing that she, you know, has been missing the whole film. And, you know, she literally tears the kids away from E.T. and E.T. is just traumatized and it's horrible. And she goes, yeah, because E.T. is just laying on the floor in the bathroom, dying. dying. Yeah. 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 And then all the kids have to go away. And then all the scientists just like break into her house. And the dress like NASA moon men, which is pretty amazing. Um, Yeah. Because no hazmat suits. They're dressed like astronauts. It's it's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. I love that scene. Yeah. They're not even like, um, excuse me, we're going to have to turn your house into a... A bubble, basically. Hospital. Yeah. Yeah, so they, yeah, they take over the, the family house. It's like the ultimate in social distancing. There's just bubbles everywhere. And uh, it's a very long scene of, uh, of E.T. and Elliot. You know, it's a very... It's full of techno jargon uh, that they can't be separated because they both have, like, the same heartbeat. They're both, like, the same, you know, sort of temperament. Um and then we meet Keys, finally. We meet Keys, uh, played by P- Peter Coyote. I love it. The only movie star with the last name, Coyote. There's something there. Mm. Um, pretty awesome. Uh, and as opposed to him being like this evil mustache twirling villain, he has this moment with Elliot where he just says, like, I've been to the forest. I've seen. I've waited for this my whole life. Yeah. He, he seems to have had an experience when he was 10 yeah. with and ET. Yeah. I don't know if it's this one or a different one because there's lots of them. Yeah. But um, he knows how special it is, I guess. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Because uh, on the one hand, there is something very self-serving about this character, obviously, and obviously, you know, he's you know he's doing and saying what he's doing because he's you know trying to uh, get a hold of the situation, but he goes out of his way to be really human to this little boy who does and not, I think you know, he's got a thing for Mary, which always weirded me out because if Mary <laughs> goes for this guy, that's so Stockholm syndrome. I'm not cool with that at all, by the way, just to jump to it. There's a book, a sequel book called ET book of the green planet. And it does deal with keys and Mary, their courtship after this story. Wow. I never like that at all. I don't want those two Come together. On. You know what? She so how'd did- you guys met? Well, we took over your house, and um, she deserves to be happy. And he is an attractive scientist who used her to, you know, to get to the bottom of this, you know, this big alien conspiracy. Yeah, but he didn't know there was going to be an attractive. That is single so two faced. No, and he's been listening to that family over time. Been driving past her house, like with the little listening device, and. Yeah, no, that's that's seriously creepy. Well, all right. Anyway, it's a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I love that you want to entertain it. Like, it's kind of a love story. No, it's not. <laughs> I refuse to let this movie be a love story. So anyway, um, yeah, so uh, E.T. dies. He literally dies. And uh, you and know, I thought that he stayed dead. I, I which is which is good because that you're supposed to. That's you're supposed to. No, but to. like I forgot he. <laughs> well, that's good, Jules. Um, you know, because that's that's emotionally where the movie is is trying to take you. You're supposed to have that feeling, and the movie does feel like it's wrapping up. Like there was a closure. Yeah. In those afterward scenes, Elliot has this scene that always breaks my heart. Like a lot of yeah. scenes in this film, where he speaks to ET for the last time because he feels that you know he's just he's in a body bag. I mean, it's really traumatizing. The scientists are trying to uh, uh, use the defil- defibrillator to bring ET back to life, and there's a moment where Spielberg cuts to Drew Barrymore's reaction shot that always moves me so much um i don't know what he did to make her cry on cue but barrymore is really going there it's beautiful it's so so sad um but anyway et comes back to life and it's um (laughs) his heart light turns on turn on yeah and um (laughs) and it's great because spielberg immediately switches to comedy like not only does he let the audience off the hook but it's fun he does this whole thing where elliot's like shut up shut up um oh yeah because what does what E.T. say? E.T. phone home. Yeah. yeah. Because his, his little heart light is beating, which is kind of like his pagers going off because, you know, his crew is like, we're here for you. <laughs> we're coming. We're coming. Yeah. So it's it's pretty, yeah, it's wonderful. And it's the movie really speeds to the big climax. It's not like this long, I mean, every, it's a pretty tight 
two yeah. hours, I got to yeah. say. So, yeah. So then this is where um, we haven't mentioned before, but there's a BMX biker gang. And as you said, they would be right, you know, very much at home in the movie Rad. Yep. They're led by uh, C. Thomas Howell. And I love, love, love the shot where the brother's like, meet me at the at the park or whatever. And Spielberg does this like sliding pan of like each of the guys like putting on their headphones. Yeah, they're their, like, like, I have been preparing for this day. <laughs> just got real. It's great. It's so awesome. One of them puts on his sunglasses. The other puts on a full like black mask. It's great. These characters, like he's going to rob a bank. These characters do not matter. But it's like... But Spielberg gives them their moment to shine, and these actors are like really going for it. It's great. I love it. So then, yeah, so it's like the movie becomes an action film where uh, Elliot's brother, who is not old enough to drive, hijacks the uh, ambulance with E.T. inside. And um, they make it to the rendezvous point, and there's a lot of shenanigans. What I want to talk about, though, is, and I wondered if you thought of this, because, I mean, it definitely occurred to me when it came out, even. Um, you know, E.T., um, he's in the back of this stolen van, and he emerges, and he's, you know, covered, you know, there's all this smoke, and he's wearing this white robe, and he has his arms outstretched, and he has this red heart light. It's this very, you know, there's an iconic quality to that moment. You know, the mother, uh, you know, the mother's name is Mary. Mm-hmm. E.T., comes from above and then he dies and then comes back to life and ultimately he goes back to where he came from. I mean, what do you think? Because Spielberg said this is not a religious film. He did not make a movie, a secular science fiction movie about Jesus Christ. But many of over the years have noted there's something about the imagery in this movie that doesn't feel, you know, it, it feels, many many have said they feel it's very deliberate, the religious mm. imagery that, that Spielberg has, you know, has taken the greatest story ever told or certainly the most famous story ever told and, you know, fused it with science fiction. What do you think? Yeah, I did not see that <laughs> when I watched it. So... I didn't think of anything of it. Then I thought, oh yeah, her name is Mary. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't make any of those connections, so I don't know. I'd probably have to watch it again with that in mind to really see if there was anything. But um, no, I I really think this is more about a boy like you said in your article, like learning compassion and empathy and growing up and really learning how to stand up for what you believe in. Because, you know, when he sets the frogs free, when he defends E.T., when he stays out past his curfew, you know, he's doing all of that because he really believes in his friend and he really wants to protect him and save him and you know those are the moments when we're kids and even when we're adults where we have these these decisions that we have to make where it's like what do I believe in so strongly that I will break norms or tradition or rules or whatever to stand up for those things. And Elliot, this is the time where he's doing that probably for the first time. And so that's more kind of the direction I was thinking, you know, is, uh, I did see this once my, uh, my friend, my dear friend, Mike Mitchell name drop. Um, he was, a uh, he was a uh, junior pastor at a church and he had a screening of this, uh, with his flock, so to speak, and it was uh, it was interesting because he basically turned his church in Lakewood, Colorado, into a makeshift movie theater. He set up this big screen, and it was it was like at seven o'clock at night, so it was nice and dark. And uh, you know, I got to watch this movie in a you know in a in a religious setting, which is something I've never done before with a bunch of other people. And uh, there is that again that moment where you know Elliot says, you know, only kids can see him, and mm-hmm. it made me think of that verse about having faith like a child. Yeah, you know. Um, that really jumped out at me. And, and it is exactly what you said. Like if you watch it with that mindset, there are things that are a little hard to like, oh, that doesn't, that feels a little more than a coincidence. I don't think, you know, it, on the one hand, it's neither here nor there. Cause I think the movie is fine without that interpretation, mm-hmm. but 
yeah, I mean, over the years, that interpretation is interesting, I think, because uh, because it does kind of check off those points in terms of the narrative, the, the, the traditional narrative of... Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when E.T., before he leaves, he says, I'll be right here, right. and he points to his heart. Yes. And I think that could definitely be interpreted as God saying... I'm leaving, but I'm always with you, mm-hmm. you know, so you could, you could interpret it like that yeah. for sure. Anyway, anyway, yeah, we could move on from that, but I thought I'd mention that. Um, I mean, and then it gets to, uh, you know, to the, the final wrap up, which happens very briskly. I mean, they're, they're there at the park and it turns out the spaceship's already there waiting for ET. It's like, come on, come on. Um, you know, and then all the kids get to fly. Oh yeah. Well, I guess God, we skipped over that. Yeah. Which yeah. is awesome. And they're like. Freaking out, and yeah. then they land, and yeah, forgive me, yeah, because uh, yeah, there's there's the long, yeah, forgive me, yeah, there's the the long chase with the cops, and uh, yeah, the kids think they're cornered, and guns come out, and yeah, the kids fly yeah. away, and, and ET is like, woo, yes, <laughs> this is rad. Roger Ebert spoke about how when the film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, he'd never heard an audience cheer so loud during that moment. Um, because it is one of these things. Well, you kind of know that it that it could be coming, but you're not sure. So then, when it does happen, these kids are all flying away. It's a it's a you know yeah. it's a pretty great moment. Yeah, it is great. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. they're all there. The space is about to take off, and ET spends a moment to say goodbye to each of them. I know, and it's so sweet <clears> when <throat> when Elliot one or ET says come, and Elliot says stay, and yeah. you're like, oh my gosh, two different worlds. We <laughs> live in two different worlds. It's interesting too. Like I noticed that I'd never thought of it before, but I don't know, I don't know why that decision was made. But ET is given the flowers that prove, you know, it was the flowers are kind of oh, this visual, yeah. visual uh, reminder of whether of what his health is like over the course of the film, and he's given it as a gift. And you see him put the flowers down so that he could say goodbye to everybody. But that's interesting to like make it very clear that he intends to hug everybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love his his little his his parting moments with all of them with with Gertie, um, who is just so like, you know, she's so tearful she can't even get the words out, and then the older brother just wants to touch him before he leaves. <laughs> Pretty weird. Um, yeah, and, and uh, Mary and Keys are in the background watching all this happen, which is interesting. They Falling didn't... in love. Just kidding. <laughs> They're exchanging numbers, just and kidding. this is 1982, so you know they're just writing it down on a piece of paper. Yeah. Like, guess we'll have dinner at Roy Rogers after this. Uh. After the after the aliens leave, what are you doing? Um, yeah, so yeah, Elliot has this beautiful goodbye, um, and then it's a it's a you know this is a moment where John Williams's music is just you know it's it's powerful from top to bottom, but it's really beautiful because uh, you see. E.T. going back into the spaceship. He's holding the flowers, and then there's this lovely silhouette, and the and the spaceship is closing. And at times, the the music roars, but it also becomes very quiet, and it's it's just lovely. Um, the spaceship takes off, leaves a rainbow, and the last image you see is of Elliot. You know the the you know the kind of the the wind and the you know and the lights kind of leaving the frame. It's lovely. Um, because it is about this boy overall, how mm-hmm. this event changes him. How, you know, as I said in my article, like I, I love this movie because it's about a boy learning empathy at a yeah. very young age, at a time when you know it's you're selfish as a young boy. Certainly at a time where you're trying to get a grasp on life because there's a parent missing and there's a sadness in your home, and you know you're an insecure kid who the other kids won't let you play Dungeons and Dragons with them while they're waiting for a pizza, and this happens, and you know he learns truly what what compassion is. Yeah, he learns because he isn't the one being taken care of. He's now having to be a caregiver. Yeah. So there is something to be said about giving kids some kind of responsibility at a young age where they understand like, oh, I'm not the one who always has to get my needs met. I can help meet needs. And I think that he gets that on like a huge scale. With an alien. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's impressive how he, I don't know, just just how he talks to E.T., how he just, like, kind of just becomes, they just become, like, this one, like, unit, you know? Their hearts just become fused together somehow. 
And I don't know if E.T. does that on purpose, like if E.T. kind of just knows that he's a good person and he decides, like it's like a, maybe these aliens like pick who they're psychically connected to and he just decides like, oh, you're the one. Or if, yeah, maybe that's how it works. And E.T.'s like, it's either the kid or the dog, so I'm just <laughs> going to take a shot in this little boy, see if that pans out. Yeah, but maybe that's how maybe that's how it works. Like maybe it's a survival instinct for the aliens, and he he just like knows that Elliot is a good person overall. I wonder if like Elliot and Keys do like you know afterwards when they all go out to Chuck E. Cheese together, the whole family little date with Keys. I wonder if he and like Elliot are like, oh, oh you got drunk too. He did that to me too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you could change the ending of this movie, what would what would your alternate ending be? I wouldn't change a frame of this movie, but I'll tell you what, Spielberg. Uh, a long time later, also you know because. This movie came out years after Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is like the grown-up version of this movie. Um, and they're two of my favorite Spielberg movies. But anyway, Spielberg kind of stepped away from science fiction for a long time. He came back to science fiction in a very big way in 2005 with the Tom Cruise version of War of the Worlds. And what I would have loved in that movie... Which be- movie? War of the Worlds, oh. the 2005 version. Because Cruz really doesn't have much of a character. He's basically just this deadbeat dad who has to like take care of his kids... What I was honestly hoping throughout the whole film was that you'd find out that his name is Elliot. And that when we do see the big reveal at the end, when the spaceship opens and you see who the big bad is, that it's E.T. <laughs> I would have loved that. Because Spielberg was going really dark at this point. Mo- the movies that Spielberg made, I mean, it's fascinating. Like after, not only after Columbine, but after 9-11, Spielberg's films got dark. He became very much a filmmaker for a while. He was making interesting movies because they were reflecting his own cynicism, his own feeling of darkness and despair at, at, at times. So, you know, I mean, after, you know, after 9-11, I mean, he made AI, Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, Munich, really dark movies. So, uh, you know, you get to War of the Worlds and there's like no glimmer of hope or whimsy. It's like, it's, you know, it's the anti-ET. So I would have loved that kind of connection because, I mean, ET is arguably the most famous movie ever made about, you know, human contact. Wow. So okay. I, would have, I would have liked that kind of... But yeah, because I don't think E.T. Not only do I think E.T. is untouchable, I love that there's no sequel to this film. Yeah. And, you know, it's... And I mean, we... It's it's an 80s footnote now, which is unfortunate because I think it's it's better than its reputation. I think people are like, oh, that's such an 80s movie or whatever. No, I think it's... I do think it's a perfect film. Yeah, I think people need to revisit it. I hope they do. I... And I'll tell you one of you know, and not to drone on too long about this, but I think there's there's two reasons that the film is not really embraced. You know, like f- for example, like the way the Lost Boys or, you know, the Princess Bride is, uh, because in 2002 the film is re-released in a special edition. Do you remember that? It's okay. No, of course I don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't sure if you did or not. Um, yeah, E.T., the special edition came out. And, you know, this was like a few years removed from the Star Wars special editions, which were huge, you know, where George Lucas went in and added scenes and added special effects, you know, and, and basically pissed off all his fan base because, yes, you know. I do remember All right, that. you remember that. All right, well then, because so in 2002, it's like Spielberg got to do his, you know, and this was you know, a movie that outgrossed all of the Star Wars movies. I mean, E.T. So he did it in, in 2002 and... The, the additions he did were highly controversial. And the big one, which is hilarious, was during the final scene where the boys are riding their bikes and suddenly the, gun, the guys with the guns are pointing the guns at the kids on the bikes. Spielberg was so traumatized, as we so many of us were in America after Columbine, he digitally erased the guns and replaced them with walkie-talkies. So the cops are pointing walkie-talkies in a threatening Wait, manner okay, at the kids. Which is so crazy because when that... Okay, because we watched the original one. Yes, okay? yes. I would not show you the special edition no. of this movie. And honestly, there's like one rifle pointed at the kids. Like, it's not like there's 25 machine guns pointed at these kids. I mean, I felt like the guns were hardly noticeable. It, I felt like the police cars were blocking the way, and so that was the more obvious blockade. Yes. It did not seem to me... Like they were actually going to shoot the kids. Yes. Like that was not, 
That was not even... Obviously, it was a means of threatening them, yeah. stopping them. I, yeah. I agree with you. They were never going to shoot the kids or even the alien. No. But nevertheless, that was that was one of the controversial additions. They added a scene um, that was cut out of the film. It's an all right scene. But the thing is, most in the, in the special edition, most of E.T. is now CGI. And it's too expressive. It's because, uh, you know, there's, there's a they real... They changed E.T.? Yeah. It sucks. Ah. There's some of it is the puppet, but for the most part, it's like Jar Jar Binks. It's no. too expressive. It waves its arms around way too much. Like it just it His doesn't, fingers are even longer. Even longer. <laughs> it just it just does not gel with what's there. So you got a really wonky, you know, character who's just kind of inconsistent okay, from scene to scene. So note to you guys, watch the original. Watch the original. So anyway, my, my point being when it was re-released in two thousand two, it was controversial because of the editions and stuff. But also the special edition came out a year after nine eleven. It just strikes me that this movie is just just too earnest. In two thousand two even, you know, we're just we're too cynical. And these movies, you know, some of these movies that came out during this time, including like Terms of Endearment, they don't hold up well because, you know, stuff that's, you know, the, the edgy, cynical stuff, that's the stuff that tends to like have well, maybe longevity. That's what's, maybe that's what's wrong with our world today. Well, it's, maybe it's too innocent and maybe it's too we easy to, to make fun of because it's, because there's a, there's a genuine sweetness to this movie. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, other than the fact that there's, oh no, uh, the image of a gun. The other thing that Spielberg did, and it wasn't controversial, but it was interesting, was there's that line, a very quick line, where the mother says, you're not going to be a terrorist for Halloween. And they changed it to hippie. They actually had her go into the recording studio and say, you're not going to be a hippie for Halloween. Um, (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so I I think the special edition tarnished the legacy of this film. And uh, again, because... I just feel like you know. Unfortunately, this is this. It becomes a movie that's very much of its time, and it's well. I it's feel not like fair, her I saying you're not going to be a terrorist for Halloween is very relevant. Like you should never be a terrorist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why would they take that out? Like it's a, it's a good message. Yeah, but a year after nine eleven, it's I know. like nobody wanted to. I know, you know but. Me. Let's yeah. no nobody be a terrorist ever. I mean, let's remember this was the same. This is around the time when they started to digitally erase the twin towers out of movies to make yeah. audiences feel comfortable, see, which is I something I didn't like that in two thousand two. Like, I don't like that now. See, I think that's such a dick thing to do. I don't like, and this is totally off topic, but it just feels like censorship and yes. and just erasing our history. You know, like. I think we should be able to watch movies in the context that they were originally made, even if they offend our senses. And I think we should be able to talk about that and and not just be like, well, I'm offended by this, so no one should ever see this ever again. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. It's like burning books. You should trust the intelligence of your audience. Trust that they're, okay, they're going to see the Twin Towers and, you know, well, you know, but... They're not They're going to see... walk out screaming from the theater because they see a reminder of yeah. what things used to be. You know, I mean, yeah. it, you know, and with it, it was a mistake for Spielberg to 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 tinker with this because it's not like the Star Wars special edition. I mean, Star Wars is a movie that's already so special effects heavy. When George Lucas went and added things and took things out, you know, it's hit and miss, but it didn't really mess with the overall flow of the movie. You saw the Star Wars special edition in theaters. It was pretty much like seeing it in 1977. The 2002 E.T., The Extraterrestrial, is a different movie. Yeah. Okay. So don't watch that one. Watch yeah. the 1982 version. If you can help it. And really, I mean, it's really easy to spot because a moment that you mentioned um, at the very beginning of the film, when E.T. is being chased through the woods by the guys, you see him bouncing like a Mario brother. In the new one? Yeah, in the new one. Because, you know, in this version, it just gets the sense of him gliding, but you actually see him like boing, boing, boing oh, through man. the woods. Yeah, if, so if you see that, bad. you know you're watching the special Turn edition. Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> Never watch it again. <laughs> Have you been on the ET ride at Universal Studios? Yeah, I love that ride. Really, you liked it? Yeah, because you got to go on a bicycle and yeah. go like over the moon. I thought it was great. I just remember being okay, in line but for, like, I was over an hour. Okay, let's. I was in junior high at the time. Okay, so at the time, yes, I thought it was awesome. Would I still? I don't know, but at the time, I thought it was great. That's interesting. So that's 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 when you're. Your reference points for this movie because I went on the ET ride in 1990 and I just remember it was over an hour to get in, and you know at the end ET is supposed to say your name before you leave and they never it, it always backfired. 
It's like, goodbye. <laughs> and it happened to everybody. It's like, my name is Brad. How can you get that wrong? It happened to everybody. Like, this stupid robot can never get the names wrong. Goodbye, that seems like a bad idea for just like any i don't know it was a, do you, like, do you remember like it was a weird thing because like you're you're in line you know and, i don't and remember while that you're part. in line they ask like okay what's your name and it's it's like barry b-a-r-r-y so they put it in the computer so, and they like you know they make a note of what cart what bike you're going to be on yeah, so that when no, you the I last mean, thing yeah <laughs> You know, like our Google Maps can't even say like the names of our streets. But what do they think like back in the 80s and 90s, like a computer could say people's names, right. names from all over the world? I mean, no, that's a, that's a disaster. And, you know, in this in this, you know, this cutesy alien race. Goodbye, Harold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, okay, we are really like devolving. Do you like this film, or because like when it was oh. over, you're like, I could see why you like it. I'm like, oh, she doesn't really like it. No, that's... no, I did like it. You actually did. Yeah, like yeah, it. I All did right. like it. I liked it 100. percent I would okay. definitely show it to our daughter when she's a little bit older. Yes, it's a little much. It's right a now. little much for her. <laughs> she's not as um, mature of a five year old as you were as a five year old. I didn't have more, a lot of uh, a little more parental sheltered. guidance. <laughs> Saw a lot of movies I should not have seen by the time I was five years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're we're still on, you know, like Curious George. Yes. Over here. No, we watched Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown today, yeah, which is a pretty intense pe- movie. Lots of peanuts. <laughs> lots of peanuts yeah. in this house. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I enjoyed it. I would definitely. I think I'd give it three and a half stars. Uh, why three and a half? Why not four? Um, I don't know. I don't have a good reason, actually. <laughs> Just because mm. I knew that you want to give it four. <laughs> well, it's not that I want to give it four. I've given it four. I've been giving it four since 1982. Why? Why three and a half? Um, What's something that strikes you as, as off or didn't work? I don't like the frog scene either, but I, I think it's, you know, I don't think it, you know, brings the movie down. Yeah. Um, I don't love the part with the scientists when they first, I don't know. I just don't love the opening scene. No, no, not the opening scene when they invade Mary's house. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be very distressing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't really have a good reason. Or, and it's rude. They didn't knock and they yeah. just walk in in their alien suits. Yeah, it is it's rude. very inconsiderate. It's very inconsiderate. Yeah. Um, you got me. I don't know. Just give it four stars, oh, Jules. Oh, do it. Man. Do it. Now he's bullying me. Goodbye, Julia. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's going to jump at Universal Studios. <laughs> you know what? They got rid of that ride. Aww. Yeah, they got rid of You know why? Because no one remembers E.T. <laughs> it's our point exactly. No one remembers like, oh, it came out in the 80s. That's an old movie. Oh, sweet. You got the Fast and Furious ride. Oh, that's so boss. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, no one says that. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Not since 1982. All right. I'll give it four stars. Yay. I win. Yeah. Just because you're right. I can't think of anything wrong with it. I really can't. <laughs> Neither can I. Yeah. All, All right. right. All right. This is a very good episode of So I Married a Film. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for us. Goodbye, listeners. <laughs> <laughs>